Have you ever struggled with fear in your life? Have you ever had the thought that I am not brave? Well, I'm here today to tell you that you are. Welcome to the Brave Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis Newland, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in here today. Each week, a friend and I get together and share stories of what makes them brave. So sit back, relax, enjoy your favorite cup of coffee or tea, and get ready for some engaging conversation. And remember, no matter what your story is, you are brave. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Brave Podcast. We are now in the third week of March. Like I said, time is just flying by like nothing. And if you're like me, you're probably recovering from the time change. It doesn't matter how long that time change has been happening. I still get knocked by that, the spring one. It's just, oh, I hate it. (laughs) This time is great because I... At the time of this podcast airing, I will be on a mini vacation because I'm getting my wisdom teeth taken out. So I'll probably be relaxing because I'll be either on pain meds or something. So it won't affect me too much because I won't have to go to work when it happens. I just will be have a few days off recovering from my wisdom teeth being taken out. So I won't be able to eat hard foods for a while. And the worst is that we're having tacos at church on Saturday. Free tacos. I can't eat them. I'm, oh, dang it. If my dentist didn't insist on me getting my wisdom teeth out, I would have left them there. They don't bother me, but they bug him, so they got to go. Anyway, that's a little bit too much about me that you guys didn't really know, but I told you anyway. Let's get on to today's guest. Today's guest is Tiffany Bloom. Tiffany is an author. She is a fellow podcaster. Her podcast is why though and she does it with Ashley Ambercombrie I listened to a few episodes there's a lot of great rich content on there and there's a lot of funny things so it's definitely a podcast I recommend you listen to now just a warning this episode deals with some adult topics surrounding abuse of power in the church and misuse of power in regards to a male female relationship and how women have been kind of trained to be silenced about this and to disregard it, and how you can empower yourself if this ever happens to you or if you know of a friend this happens to. So Tiffany Bloom, this is her whole mantra of basically giving a voice to women who have been mistreated in this way in either a church setting or even out in the working world. She shares her story of how this impacted her and how this launched her to do this book and her book is actually landing. I believe it's on the 17th. I don't, or no, it's the 18th. So Thursday. So the day after this podcast airs, so you guys can pick up her book. It was a really great read. She's very journalistic about it. So she does all this research and gives you all these articles and all this evidence of things that she has gathered of abuse of women throughout the years. It's a great read. Very informative. I, implore you to pick it up if you like. All right. So thank you for tuning in. And without further ado, here is my podcast guest, Tiffany Bloom. 
listening to the Brave Podcast, and my guest today is Tiffany Bloom. So, Tiffany, I'll have you introduce yourself and tell people why you're awesome. Tiffany Bloom, as Alexa said so well. Thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. <laughs> and I am an author, speaker, podcaster myself. I have spent um, years and years in the nonprofit world serving women, women's empowerment, women's equality issues. I am so excited to release my third book. Pray tell why we silence so many tell the truth and how everyone can speak up. Love that. Love that. So let's jump into your book. What inspired you to write this? This is a topic that's difficult. So oh, what yeah. inspired you to dive into this? Well, before I explain that, I just have to say I'm the girl who was like, oh, women's ministries, non-controversial topics. Like yeah. everyone's awesome. N- nobody's doing things they shouldn't be doing. I'm not the girl who went wading in controversial waters and was ready to charge the hill. I'm passionate yeah. about justice and reaching women on the margins. Everything changed when I found myself in the hot seat and I spoke truth to power and delivered sensitive information and found myself to be disposable in the process. I'm with you. I'm that person who's like, oh, I don't like controversy or I'm not confrontational at all. But when something is happening that is wrong, you have to speak up. Yeah. You don't, yeah. who will? Yeah. And it's one of those things I'm with you. I am the last person on earth anyone thought would speak up and and raise her voice because most of us, we're all playing a self-preservation game. Our Mm -hmm. ultimate worship is to security more than we'd like to admit. That's so true. Right. And that self-preservation bleeds into every area of our lives. When we consider the doors that have been opened to us and the opportunities that we have, None of us are looking to lose opportunity and resources in our platform and our paycheck to raise the banner for someone else. Yeah. Because in my situation, I wasn't the victim. I wasn't the one taken advantage of. I was the bystander. So I had to ask oh. myself that ethical question. Is this not my circus, not my monkeys? I don't need to deal with this because it didn't happen to me. Or yeah. do I have a role to ensure that every woman feels respected and safe and in equitable spaces? So it's really that 90% of us who this didn't happen, but we find ourselves in witnessing impropriety and we're like, "Uh uh-oh, am I supposed to do something here? You know, anything from something we see at the grocery store to something we see at work or something happening in our church. So let's get into your story a bit. I spoke up and found myself to be disposable. I really thought to myself, you know, this, if this is happening now, surely this is happening to other people. Surely other people are feeling so silenced. And why do women feel like they can't speak up if they have something to lose? And so as I journey through that, it's a very journalistic approach to this issue. I combine scripture with modern history and then in the faith context as well. So there's a lot to it. And I I so enjoy the research part of it and the writing part of it. I can tell that reading this, this is like investigation. I really enjoyed that. I was like, wow, she's really digging and showing all these circumstances and evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really what led me is just knowing that if this happened to me, this is happening everywhere because we don't want to believe that good men are capable of bad things. There's so much dissonance in understanding that somebody who's benevolent or kind or generous is also capable of abusing his power at a woman's expense. We don't want to believe that. But the reality is it's prevalent and it's happening a lot. And those narcissistic tendencies that we often praise as leadership qualities are really, really doing some damage. And we have to be able to know it, recognize it, and work toward safe, equitable spaces. 
let's go to like this happening in like the area of faith, like in faith-based organizations. So if you know this is happening, how do you bring this up? Say like you see this happen and it's someone who's like a leader or pastor or something like that. How do you kind of bring this up and confront this person? What are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah. How would you do that? Yeah. What a good question. I think first we have to understand how it happens. Yeah. We are like, how did we get here? We read something on Christianity Today or CNN or see a hashtag on Twitter and we're like, why didn't anybody speak up? How did he get away with it? Why didn't yeah. the board or the elders say something? Why didn't the woman come forward earlier? And we're, we have to understand how it happens in the first place to be able to address it. So I would first say understanding a faulty theology that believes patriarchy is inherent in the gospel, believing that men are above women. That's where we first got to look back and think, but when we go to the Genesis story and see Adam and Eve created both in the image and likeness of God and see yeah. that it was only after the fall that women were subjugated, women were treated as second, women were treated as less. And then in our modern day, we after the time of the Reformation and even the printing press, it has been women are to serve men and to serve your family and to serve your home. Mm -hmm. And those are all good things. Those aren't bad things. Yeah. But, but at the expense of being seen as equal to men is a problem. And then we look at first century Jesus and we see how he empowered and unleashed women. In fact, the, yeah. you know, the gospel message of the resurrection was left on the shoulders of a woman after the disciples came back in the tomb and they see it empty. And yeah. then we, we see how, wait a second, this is, this is evident that women belong and they have a voice and it's one to be respected, heard, and heeded. Because in the first century, a woman couldn't testify in court. She would be accused oh, of couldn't. personal gain or out of fear, she would lie. And she was seen as low as a slave. She was property, for goodness sake. And so in our modern day, that has really seeped into our legal system and in how mm -hmm. we deal with this now. And as early as the late 1800s, unless a woman could prove she didn't enjoy being harassed or assaulted, then there was no issue. She had to oh, prove it, even with no witnesses. How would you prove that, right? Yeah. And, and even the vernacular of the word harassment or assault or imbalance of power or misogyny, all of these are relatively new terms, especially harassment and assault coined in the late 60s, early 70s. So women didn't even have the vernacular and vocabulary to describe their experiences when speaking up, let alone in faith circles. Let's say a woman does speak up to a pastor who was a predator or who took advantage of her, or made her feel uncomfortable, abused his power in some way, shape or form. We're told don't touch the Lord's anointed, taking, taking passages out of context, which was a private conversation between David and Abishai talking about causing bodily harm to a sitting king and, and not a defiance of dissent by somebody with sensitive information. So we have given men immunity. We've given men immunity in so many spheres. And especially in that faith space where you cross the wires of this person has led me into a relationship with the Lord, but this person is, a, he thinks he's immune to accountability and is abusing his platform and privilege and resources. That gets pretty murky. Yeah, it does. If somebody has uh, prompted a holy experience, a sacred experience, it really is jarring to believe that they would, with that same charisma and charm, use yeah. it to manipulate or gaslight or take advantage of us. So how do we address it? I think first we have to admit that this is happening. Okay. Too many of us don't want to believe that good men are capable of bad things. And yeah. there's a few reasons for that. Confirmation bias. You know, narcissists 
our masters at first impression. And for most of us, dare I say nearly 80% of us, it is almost impossible to change your first impression of how you believe about somebody if they've shown you their cards. And so somebody could come to us and say, well, that man's a monster. And we're like, but no, he's so kind. You should have seen the way he dedicated my babies or baptized my husband. We have all these things like there's just no way because he's been kind to me. Yeah. And we even, we prop up that kindness to be even bigger than it is. It's a Stockholm syndrome, if you will. Even if someone shows us the slightest bit of kindness in a toxic situation, we are endeared to them. Yeah. And of course, anyone who's abusing their power is likely a master manipulator and is counting on the way that they've groomed us and the way that we have come to grow comfortable and affectionate toward them and their persona and their actions and their accolades and their portfolio. So to then have to change in our minds after we have all this evidence, we mine our own brain looking for evidence of why this person's good. It's difficult. So being able to first admit that this is actually happening and it's not just happening in far off places and churches across the country. It could easily happen in our own church. It could easily happen in our own faith space. Mm-hmm. And then I think we must lament, acknowledge it's happening, lament. We must weep and cry that women for centuries have been taken advantage of by faith leaders, not just in the Catholic church, as you mentioned, but across the board in evangelical and mainline churches, this is happening everywhere. Yeah. And then as we do that, we have to listen, actively listen to women who come forward. Most of us are the first line. If, if, if a friend comes to us with hellacious news, it's so easy to jump to, are you sure that happened? Or just, yeah. are you fresh on him? Or It's hard to believe. I'm guilty yeah. of this. Right, yeah, right. Same. It's so hard to believe. I'm guilty of this. I have done this. And yeah. then making them prove themselves. And really, they need a listening ear. They need to feel seen and known. Any woman who's caught in an isolated position, they need to feel seen and known. So if we can actively listen, consider our facial expressions, our body language, and be able to just be present, just be present, yeah. not, not her with questions. Because um, research shows that very few women lie about these kind of things, abusive power, yeah. very few women. And so really listen, I think then we need to learn, learn how this happens. Learn that if a woman can't string together exactly how things happen, that's not because she's a liar. That's likely because it's so traumatic. Her brain is trying to grapple with the post-traumatic stress that she's experienced. That's actually evidence of trauma, not lack thereof. And then also, I think we have to really recognize that love is not divorced from justice. Oh, I like that. In faith spaces, we believe that love and justice are opposite sides of the coin and they really are the same side. Love looks like calling the police. I believe it's Cornell West said, you know, justice is love in public as something to that effect, meaning that pursuing justice and pursuing recompense and redress for those who've been harmed is not ill will. And it's not that we're not forgiving and that we're not, that we're trying to not move on, which is pushed in faith circles. Oh, just forgive, just forgive. And so really being able to understand that it is imperative to pursue justice or this is going to happen again. Yeah. We get away with stuff because we let them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We don't have consequences. And there, and there has to be a line in the sand where we say enough is enough. And, and it's not one woman. It's all of us speaking together, women and men being allies and understanding that, you know, everyone deserves safety and respect and kindness and dignity. And no one should suffer from an imbalance of power, whether it's race, mm-hmm. class, size, a physical size or gender between men and women. Exactly. 
So what if you encounter, so you've said that you, this didn't happen to you, but you, this happened to someone that you knew. What if you encounter someone who does, who's afraid to speak up? Right. How yeah. do you encourage them to? Because like you said, if you don't say anything, it will continue to happen again and again. So how would you encourage yeah. someone who is afraid to do this? Yeah, I think honor their journey, encourage them to get internal help before they ever speak up. They might need to be in a place where they could even handle that. that that's, a, yeah. that's an extremely um, high emotional toll. And so lending your strength. I think of my situation, I was even afraid to speak up on behalf of somebody else. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Say, oh, yeah. I'm terrified. I had night terrors yeah. for six months. It was Awful. Wow. Awful. Awful. I had a lot to lose. For me, I was the breadwinner of my home. I knew my job would be on the chopping block. Uh, my 401k, my son's education, he was scholarshiped at a private school. That would be gone. My husband was also employed by the same entity. We were about to lose our whole existence, our, our faith community. Everything would be lost if we spoke up. And it was when another person said to me, I'll lend you my strength. Like, you don't have to do this alone. And I think when somebody is struggling, like, I can't do this, honor their journey, encourage them to get um, professional help, because this is an outrageously traumatic thing. As I said, it's the leading derailer of careers for women. And then I think be be patient with the journey and be willing to go with them. I think if there's a call to make, say, I'll go do that with you. You need to go talk. Let's say if it's a church at an elder board, if you need to go to HR, I'll go with you. You don't have to do this alone. You need to call the police. I'll go with you. You don't have to walk this alone. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm so thankful for this book that you have this as a resource people to kind of look at and why people don't speak up and to kind of encourage them to and to remember that there, there is an imbalance with power. And if you yourself feel like you're being abused, you have every right to, to share your voice. Your voice matters. Yeah. So I'm so grateful for this. Oh, thank you. It's yeah. just, it's too easy to self-silence. It, starting as early as 24 months, children will cover up for their parents. Even before they can form a sentence, they will cover up actions of someone who's harmed them, but believes they love That's them. so true. And then of course, even in middle school, we think of how many girls are harassed by the time they're 13. And for boys, they see it as a rite of passage to be proven as a man by other boys and by women mm-hmm. and by other girls in school. So we, we've created this society where this is just so acceptable So being able to pull those layers back and realize, wait a second, we need to raise empathetic boys. Yeah. Girls who are the boss of their body and their time and their, their have agency and create spaces that reflect that. Yeah. Cause like you said, like they, men are groomed from a young age to like, I'm a guy, like it's cool. It's funny to show your masculinity. It's in movies, guys like taking advantage of girls and being overly flirtatious and it's just, it's everywhere in our society and just having to be able to flip that switch now and say, no, this is not okay. Right. This is how women should be treated. It is not okay to objectify anyone or to use your sex to overpower someone. Come on, come yeah. on. That's exactly yeah. right. It's that, it's that fraternity culture into adult life. Yes. Where there's just so many free passes and we don't see things as like, oh, they're just a boy or all oh, boys will be boys. And it's like, nah, dog. <laughs> not happening nah yeah it's not okay not okay so for kids because how would you it starts with our children kind of rewriting the script how would you kind of bring up this subject with children oh what a good question so I think as as soon as kids can understand what you're talking about honestly as soon as they can stand you can encourage that and you can speak this over them but if you see them hammering at another kid or oh no your hands to yourself or you don't get to touch somebody Consent feels like such a dirty word because we associate it with adult dating, but consent starts very young. And maybe we need to give it a new name because people are so afraid of it. But 
consent to their time. I think of, it's not just body of a little boy using, you know, if he's a bully on the playground or, you know, whatever the case may be, it's also time of like demanding, oh no, you need to play with me or you need to do what I want to do, or Mm -hmm. I want to do this. So we're doing this. Even that behavior enables that imbalance of power starting at a young age. And so having boys be aware, nobody can touch your body. Nobody gets to take over your time, unless your mommy and daddy, and you don't get to do <laughs> somebody else. Yeah. So it's, it's obviously imperative that we teach body awareness, but it's also imperative that we teach body awareness for other children. If you see somebody touching someone else, you got to go tell an adult. If you see, or, mm-hmm. and, and that's not for you either. And so it's, it's, and we have those conversations when they're really little, and then we might have them after something goes wrong in high school. And then we hope for the best when they're an adult. And really it's an ongoing conversation and it's, it's before it happens. I, I have two boys, 10 and okay. six, and it's having these conversations before he sees it in real life because it's jarring. And no matter where we fall on that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, you know, we yeah. all handle traumatic experience, whether small or large differently. And so being able to say, Hey, if you were in the locker room, you know, I have an almost middle school, I have a preteen. If you're in a locker room, and you heard somebody say something unkind about a girl, what would you do? What were some things you could say in response? So we're, pre- we're, we're, we're creating these opportunities to put a line in the sand in a non-confrontational but honest and respectable way so where, it's, where it's just not appropriate. So I think having those conversations, before, and it's awkward. I get it. I get it. Yeah, I get it. I've got a boy yeah. going through puberty. It's awkward as <laughs> up in here. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's weird. But those conversations with our kids and that open line of communication of like, hey, how do you believe that girls should be treated? Do you believe girls are as smart as boys? Do you believe that boys should have better jobs than girls? You know, just constantly talking about equality in the home and understanding that everyone's the boss of their body and everyone's the boss of their time. It, it's not okay for us to take because an, an imbalance of power and abusive power is theft of someone else, theft oh, of their like time, that. theft of their yeah. body, theft of their platform or their resources or their life. And so being able to recognize that in small kid-friendly ways and then having those conversations, especially in the teen years. And, oh yeah. And as we launch kids off. We want to raise respectable men and women in the world. Exactly. So honor each other and work together. Partnership is the goal, not, not one oppressing the other. No, I agree. I definitely agree. Because God created us to work together. He created us to be together. And so just this imbalance, we have to fix it. We have to look at each other equally. Yeah. Yeah. The world depends on it. The future depends on it. The moral arc of the universe depends on it. It really does. If we keep having this division, we'll just all fall apart. It says a house divided will fall. Yes. It will crumble. And so we we need each other and we need to look at each other with respect. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how is the book launch going? How are people receiving it? Yeah, you know, it, so it launches March 16th. So right now there's about a little over 250 people who have early release copies, you being one of them, yeah. to just kind of put it out there and put feelers out there and launch team, getting familiar with the content. And my prayer is it's, this is not a moment, it's a movement, truly yeah. a movement where women are also beginning to understand how in the smallest of ways they have been taken advantage of. Anytime that they were passed up for something when they were more qualified anytime that they were pursued because of a stereotype as a woman of color, like being able to identify, wait a second, this happened to me. And that's been my biggest feedback so far from women who've read it is like, oh my gosh, I am looking back at my life experiences 
and realizing how gaslit and manipulated I was by the men in my life. And I, I didn't even realize. I didn't yeah. even realize because my job was to fall in line. And if I wanted a place in the system, I had to obey the men who let me in. And yeah. so that's been a really, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that that's the eye-opening takeaway and believing that the best is yet to come. Yeah. And I was reading some of the things too in your book and it's the pretty thing. Oh, you have a pretty face or just comments on your appearance. And you're just like, oh, like, there's been times that's happened to me. And I'm like, this is awkward, but you're like, is this really harmful? You never really thought about it until you realize right. how you feel afterwards. You're like, oh, that felt so weird. And like, yeah. how do you even address that? Hey, don't say those things to me that makes you right. makes me feel weird. Yeah. And if we did, would we lose opportunity? Yeah. If it was the boss who said that, would we lose that promotion at our next annual evaluation? Would we lose something? You know, I think we let things slide because we don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. And it's harming us in the, in the long run. It is. And like you said, security, it really is something we do worship. I know that I am a security person. I want to know that what I have now is going to be stable and it's not going to, I don't want to lose. No one wants loss. No Nobody. one wants loss. Nobody. Yeah. So you just hold on to things that could be so toxic for you because you're so afraid of losing. You lost your job from this. How did you recover from that loss? Yeah. So I walked away because I knew that if I stayed in the system, this person would make my life pretty miserable. And it, it would yeah. end as me, of me quitting or getting let go for some reason. And I wanted to walk away on my own terms. So, uh, and honestly, just real talk, I knew I couldn't speak up if I was still in that system. The stress and the anxiety and the depression that I walked through with this knowledge and witnessing what I did was too much. I had to remove myself to be able to walk the rest of the leg of the, that race for me. So rebuilding, I got to be honest, it's one of these things, like I said, it derails a woman's career and it affects all the people around her. Again, even though I was a bystander who served as a whistleblower, I really had to take some time and grieve. Obviously, I grieved the hard parts, but then I had to grieve the good parts that would never be part of my life again. Yeah. It, it's, it's one thing to grieve the hard things that we've lost and that we've gone through. It's a whole nother thing to grieve the good parts that we weren't ready to say goodbye to. And so walking through that and then, then realizing, okay, I just left my dream job. What's next? What is life yeah. going to look like now? And being able to ask yourself, am I resilient? Like, is this something that God can continue to do? And remembering that he doesn't forsake the righteous. And yeah. I hope wherever you're listening right now, you remember that he doesn't forsake the righteous. Just to know that he's still faithful. And just because doing the right thing looks like the hard thing doesn't mean it's over. And so yeah. really dreaming again. In fact, I ended up writing a book called She Dreams because I, I, saw was that. In my, yeah. I was in my own season of like, okay, what's next? What's next? Yeah. What am I supposed to do next? Where do I go from here? And it really was this moment of believing, okay, I know that there's good things to come. And the underdog usually has a really great story. So yes, believing they do. that, come on, come on. And you know what? There's <laughs> underdogs that we don't even think of as underdogs. Julia yeah. Chai, for example, that girl was in her forties before she had a cookbook, you know, at, in, at 27, she wrote, uh, in her journal after being turned down to write an article for the New Yorker and said, sadly, I am ordinary, not good at anything. Julia friggin' child wrote that, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. longest running show, multiple honorary yes. doctorates, you know, anyway, so amazing, never food. Oh amazing food taught Americans how to cook amazing food. food. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can you tell a little bit about your book, She Dreams? Yeah, so th that's all. That's kind of the the bread and butter of it is 
what does it look like to dream and how do we order our dreams? What does it look like to find mentors? What does it look like to shortcut the distance to your dream? How do you map it out? How do you begin with the end in mind and work backward to see that become your reality? And even in my own life, I, I remember a, a mentor of mine, he's like, write your life as if you, if it was already happened, the dream as if it's already happened. So I wrote down, I woke up in the morning, got my kids off to school, walked up to my home office and made a cup of coffee, started some conference calls. I, I work from home. I did this whole elaborate as if it was already my life, like a diary entry. Wow. And sure enough, within five years, that was my exact life. Just seriously. Just, yeah. Just planting that seed. And then you start to notice, right? You start to notice the opportunities that would help get you closer to that. Uh, so I kind of anchor the story with Moses. Yeah. Who was an un, was a reluctant dreamer, but called by God nonetheless. And often our dreams outlive us and are much bigger than us. And they're scary. They're yes. So, scary. so, so what does it look like to, to dream big dreams and know that it could be expensive? It could be time consuming. It could cost you. But knowing that the world may keep on spinning, but you won't unless you dream. Okay, I'm gonna have to get that other book because I'm in the midst of doing that right now in my mm. in my current life and like my dreams feel bigger than what I feel like I'm called to do. And God's like, too bad, you're gonna do this thing. And yeah, I'm gonna pick your book that book up. Oh. I'm like, ah. Yeah, dreams are yes. scary. Yeah, dreams are scary, but they also it's you know, it it's what keeps us believing for more and casting vision for our life. And I think every season requires a bit of an audit, if you will, being able to look oh. at your life our life and think wait, is this where I want to be headed? Because we don't want to wake up one day when we're 80 and be like, oh, wait, I missed the boat. I didn't really check in yeah. with myself on what I wanted to do. And so I think it's, I mean, I'm in, honestly in a season of that right now, again, of just being like, okay, where do I go from here? Like what's yeah. next? So, cause this, this year, like, well, I keep thinking it's 2020, but it's not anymore. Girl, it is 2020. <laughs> it's 2020. It's 2020. This is cool. Oh my gosh. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, we are like kind of just uprooted everything. You're like, okay, it's the year of pivoting and trying to figure out, okay, what am I supposed yeah. to do now? Yeah. yeah. I think that's, I think that's where so many of us are at of, and, and women have been inordinately punished by, by COVID-19 just because they're often the ones leaving work to homeschool kids and virtual yes. school and being present. And so it's just, it's painful how much women have lost. Obviously we've all lost so much, but watching how women have suffered in a unique way through this has really been quite unique and add to that the isolation. It's not like we're with our people where we can yeah. hear ourselves out loud with other people who can talk some sense into us. And so just the isolation combined with the loss of any practices that helped make us come alive and having to redefine what that can look like, just as you said, pivot to what does life look like now? Like, where do I go from here? What can life, how can I somehow even mildly attempt to thrive amidst a sea of loss, you know, loss of life, emotional loss, professional loss, financial loss. Social loss. That's the big, that's the thing that I'm seeing a lot of people are just struggling with right now. Like they're they're people or they can't be with their people and, or like church churches have been really impacted here where you can't go. And so people have had to move to online and missing the community. So it's just hard to see how all Well, California girl, you, you guys are just, hit so hard. Like uh, my heart just goes out. I, I can't, I can't even begin to understand what it must be like of just the, the strict, I mean, are your restaurants even open yet? No. Well, there are some, so there's some people who are like, we're done. And so they're kind of 
bend they're not bending they're kind of like just having the outdoor so we have outdoor now which is so oh. nice which to go sit outside even and eat and it just it's so nice it's yeah. just so so nice some cities depending on what tier you're in it's a little more open where you can go into a restaurant and sit so that's oh, nice. there you go there you yeah go. that is because that's the one thing i miss that movies i miss movies so oh, much i miss movies i can't girl what'd you just do to me i oh. haven't thought about a movie in almost a year you know what though oh. i wanted to go see wonder woman 2 or wonder woman 1984 or whatever it's yeah. called and then everyone said it was super bad who had hbo max so i was like okay i okay, saw cool it and i'm like this is at the like because the first one was so amazing and you're like this was great so, so i feel like if the one that they showed this time was first it would have like helped because i'm like it because it was just like it wasn't bad it was just not not the best i'm like oh like it wasn't it wasn't the awesomeness of the first one it left you wanting more yeah i was like dang it like it was good but you were just like okay i mean it was still worth watching i love wonder Woman. she's my favorite superhero but like i yeah i was like man the first one was just so amazing like you love the movie like i'm woman i can take over everything and then this one was just kind of like it was good but you didn't leave you with that like awesomeness of the first one left you with Right. Okay. Well, how are you coping then? What are you watching? <laughs> oh, so I love Marvel. And so I've been watching Mar- uh, WandaVision. Oh, everyone says it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. The first episode, you're like, what is this? Keep going. It is so good. And I'm hooked. And every Friday I get home from work, shut, like shut off everything and then turn it on and watch it. And the, the only downside is it has like 10 minutes of credits. And that is my only complaint. It's like the show could be longer. Why is this so short? And why are the credits so long? Oh, so if you're like, man. okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Okay. That's maximum. Hey, everyone's like, this is. Yeah. So you got to watch that. You got to oh. watch that. It's so good. Cause I was watching the men Lauren before that was my Friday night kick. And then it went away. And so now I have WandaVision and I think it's, there you go. It's those till it ends. And I'm like, what am I going to watch after that on Friday nights? But yeah, it's, it's good. Okay. That's so funny. This is so random. Speaking of Marvel, my oldest, is he's a little bit of a late bloomer. Yeah. And he's, he's just now getting into superheroes and Avengers and Marvel, which is so fun. Yeah. So fun. And so trying to find Marvel that's appropriate for a 10 year old because yeah, it's hard. It is so hard. <laughs> like I can't be having you hear these words, buddy. You're 10. Yeah. Um, so I said to myself, I wonder if there's some like Christian media company that took out all the curse words, but you can there solve is. the storyline. Is there really? Clear, clear play. I'll email it to you. So it is like, either it's an app or my friends all have it. There's an app or you can buy a player. You can put the, the DVD in and it will, any bad word, anything that's visually kids shouldn't see, it'll take it out. Yeah. All right. Did you hear yeah. that listeners? What? Okay. Clear play. You yeah. just changed my life. Thank you. Yeah. A lot of my friends have it and they're like, it's great. I can watch these movies. That I love because I can just put them through clear play. Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. Okay. Now I know. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm glad. Love it. Love it. Love oh, it. I love it. All right. So Tiffany, where can people find you? Yes. Like so all I awesome hang out you're doing. mostly on Instagram at Tiffany Bloom, B-L-U-H-M. And everything about the book, and we're offering a virtual summit for anyone who orders the book with leading voices on this issue, psychologists and historians and culture commentators and activists and theologians. And that is all at tiffanybloom.com. 
Awesome. When the world opens up back up again, would you think of doing a conference, like an actual live conference? <gasps> on this topic? Well, the goal was to take the show on the road because, you know, COVID hit last mid-March is when the world shut down. And I thought to myself, yeah. oh, my book comes out mid-March of next year. I have nothing to worry about. <laughs> here I am with no book tour in sight because of COVID. So it's definitely Aww. been... Uh, yeah, speaking of pivot, it's one thing that I look forward to, but going back to live events and being able to take the show on the road with this. So, yeah. It's so nice to like be in person and to see people and connect oh, them that way. It's yeah. a whole other thing. Yeah. Isn't it though? We need each other. We need each other. We do. That's what this thing has taught me. You need people. I'm tired of computer screens. Yes. I, <laughs> yeah, I like you need people. It's so good to be face to face. Totally. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has no been no problem. Such a joy. Great. And then my final question for you is when, when did you decide that you were brave? Oh, I love that question. I decided I was brave when I was able to count the cost and know that even if I had something to lose, being brave was still a greater investment in my life and in my world and in society. And if I want to contribute to human flourishing, there's a time to count the cost and there's a time to move forward and pay that cost. Yeah, I love that. Tiffany, thank you so much. This has been great. Oh, I've loved every minute. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode with my new friend, Tiffany. I will put all the info you need to connect with her in the show notes, her Instagram, her website, and where to purchase the book. At the time of this podcast, which is airing on March 17th, her book will be out on March 18th. So if you want to pick that up, I will put a link where you can order your copy. Pre-orders really help authors kind of know how many books to put out there and it shows the popularity of the book. So it really helps an author out. So if you feel inclined to purchase it, definitely do that. All right, here are my three asks for the podcast. First one is share. If you love what you heard today, feel free to share it with a friend. You can email it to them. You can send them to my Instagram, my Facebook page, go to my website, and they can find the podcast there so they can listen. Second is ratings. If you are loving what you're hearing, ratings helps me know what I'm doing well, what I need to work on, and also helps people find the podcast. And then finally, subscribe. You can subscribe now at bravewindministries.com. Go to the contact us, put your email in to the contact box, and then boom, I have your email, and then you're on the email list. On that list, I'll tell you about any updates that are going on with the podcast, about any new merch that's coming in, any new fun things I'm going to do. It'll all be on the email list, and you get the episodes one day early, so you can listen to them before they hit on Wednesday. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I love you and appreciate your support so much of this podcast. Next week is Latarsha Holden. Her story is awesome. It's pretty much not rags to riches, but going from being homeless to a PhD. Such a cool story. You're going to love Latarsha. She's from Atlanta, my hometown, so it was so fun to talk to another Southerner. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.